Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. When the Apostle Paul returned to Jerusalem after his missionary journeys, the Apostle Paul reached out to the people as best he could. No one was really interested in him being there. No one was really interested in the doctrines that he was promoting except when people were concerned about what he was going to be telling others about what he believed. People were concerned about that and asked him just simply not to tell people that they should not be circumcised, that they should not be living in obedience to the Mosaic Law, things like that. In order to have the greatest opportunity to be able to reach out to the people who were there in Jerusalem, the Apostle Paul made the choice to subject himself under the Mosaic Law in order to have some degree of acceptance with the people there, so that he would eventually have the opportunity to speak with them about being set free from the law and various other things that we know he did sincerely believe because of the letters that he had written previously to the people in the Gentile world. But Paul was not there for very long before the people rioted, and the Romans responded by taking Paul into custody and making him a prisoner. And from that day forward, Paul remained a prisoner until he died. He remained a prisoner not because of his religious beliefs, not really because of what he was teaching. He remained a prisoner because at this time the government got involved. And those who were in positions of power in the government who had authority over him had no interest in what he believed or what he was teaching or his effect on the population. Their only concern really was money and power and influence. That was their concern. And so when Paul went through various trials trials in the context of actual trials before an authority, someone who would make a judgment with regards to his guilt or innocence. When he went before various trials, the issues were not really about what he was believing or what he may or may not have done at the temple. The real issues that kept him in the state of being a prisoner had to do with the fact that the people were looking at him as a potential tool to use him as a means of gaining political influence or favoritism or money That was why he remained a prisoner. Now, there were four trials that the Apostle Paul went through, and these are described in Acts chapter 23 as the trial before the Sanhedrin, Acts chapter 24 as the trial before Felix, Acts chapter 25 as the trial before Festus, and Acts chapter 26 as the trial before Agrippa. And so between Acts chapter 23 and Acts chapter 26, the Apostle Paul went through several trials. And then in Acts chapter 27, he travels by boat towards Rome. And in Acts chapter 28, he has arrived in Rome. And he remains there, of course, for the rest of his life as a prisoner. And so from this point forward, there were not very many opportunities for him to have the usual conflicts that he was having before or the usual opportunities that he would have before in order to present the gospel. He certainly did present the gospel as he had the opportunities to do so. But in the remainder of the book of Acts, beyond Acts chapter 23, there are not very many theological issues or controversies that are really brought out and addressed in any of these chapters. 
There are, however, a number of very interesting points that are made in these chapters. And so in this broadcast, I would just like to refer to a few of them, just in order to bring these to light, to tell you about the significance of some of these minor things that are mentioned, and then bring closure to the study on the book of Acts. The first thing that I would like to mention is with regards to Paul's trial before the Sanhedrin. This trial is described in Acts chapter 23. The Romans brought him before the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin convened to discuss the matter of the Apostle Paul before he was taken from Jerusalem. I'd like to start in Acts chapter 23, verse 1, where it says, Paul, looking intently at the council, said, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. The high priest Ananias commanded those standing beside him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you sit to try me according to the law and in violation of the law order me to be struck? But the bystander said, Do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was high priest. For it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. What I find very interesting here is that Paul does make the point that they are about to break the law by having him struck. Now, there were many laws that the Sanhedrin had in order to govern themselves, in order to ensure that they would govern appropriately and righteously, in order to ensure that people could have a fair trial. And they had several laws that governed their activity with people who were put on trial, to include the fact that the judges were to remain humane and kind, that a person was not to be beaten at all before a trial was to take place or even during a trial, and certainly if the person was condemned to death, they were not allowed to be beaten beforehand. There were fines that would be levied on an individual if they struck another individual. There were some very important laws that the Sanhedrin had effectively on their books in order to make sure that they did govern as best they could in accordance with the standards presented to them by the Mosaic Law. And, of course, I have done a study on this that I would like to encourage you to listen to that's titled The Trial of the Lord Jesus. And in that study, I went through the trial of the Lord Jesus and explained a number of these laws and the importance of having these laws and the purpose of these laws. And I also explained how the Sanhedrin violated many laws when they held their trials for the Lord Jesus. So likewise, here with the Apostle Paul, they were on the verge of beginning to violate some of their own laws. But of course, another riot broke out during this trial, and so the Romans pulled the Apostle Paul out of there before the Sanhedrin was able to give a judgment. The most interesting statement that I see here in Acts chapter 23 is definitely verse 9, where it says, And there occurred a great uproar, and some of the scribes of the Pharisaic party stood up and began to argue heatedly, saying, We find nothing wrong with this man. Suppose a spirit or an angel has spoken to him. That was what caused the riot that caused the Romans to take the Apostle Paul out of the Sanhedrin before he was seriously injured in the disorder. At this point, it really wasn't about the Lord Jesus at all. It was about the hope of the Pharisees as opposed to the hope of the Sadducees. The hope of the Pharisees was that there was a resurrection and that there were angels that could interact with us on behalf of the living God. The Sadducees didn't believe that. And so when Paul saw himself in this situation where nothing would turn out well for him at all, regardless of what happened, 
he went ahead and incited this riot. It's described in verse 6 where it says, But perceiving that one group were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, Brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I am on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. As he said this, there occurred a dissension between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. And so Paul certainly knew what he was doing, but then he was taken out of there. Then in Acts chapter 24, he was taken to Felix, and he had a trial before Felix. And what's really interesting about this trial before Felix is that in verse 1, it says that Ananias came down with some of the elders. In Acts chapter 24, verse 1, it says, After five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders, with an attorney named Tertullus, and they brought charges to the governor against Paul. Now, what I find is so interesting about this is that Ananias was the high priest. What is the high priest doing there? Why is he there? The high priest was never allowed to leave the temple compound, or at least he was never permitted to by the law of God. In Leviticus chapter 21, between verses 10 and 12, mainly verse 12, In Leviticus chapter 21, the Lord explicitly said that the high priest was to never, ever, under any circumstances, leave the temple compound. But not only does he leave the temple compound, he leaves Jerusalem. What's he doing completely out of town? To me, this is a gross violation of the Mosaic law and demonstrates the absurdity of what is truly taking place here from a religious perspective. The people are all up in arms about Paul possibly violating them in some way with respects to their beliefs. However, they are willing to go to these lengths to the extent where they will so obviously violate the Mosaic Law. Obviously, this really has nothing to do with anything except the fact that they just simply hate Paul and they want him killed just because they don't believe that he is fit to live because of what he believes and because he's telling other people about what he believes and there are other people who are actually listening to him. That's all there is to this. It's not about right and wrong. It's not about good and evil. It's not about the living God. It's not about the priesthood. It isn't even about the law anymore. This is nothing more than a matter of personal pride. And sure enough, while Paul is there before Felix, he's there for two years. At the end of Acts chapter 24... It says, but after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul imprisoned. Again, it had nothing to do with what Paul believed. It had nothing to do with what charges may have been presented before Paul, whether those charges were legitimate or not. At this point, it has nothing to do with that. It is only about trying to obtain political favoritism, economic value in terms of maybe getting a bribe, from Paul in order to have Paul set free. It has nothing to do with the Lord. It has nothing to do with the issues of the gospel at this point at all. But sure enough, while Paul was there, he was still effective in being able to speak with the people about the gospel. He was effective in being able to speak with them about the Lord Jesus, even though they really were not that interested in that. But he was able to speak to them. And of course, some people heard Some people would really consider what the Apostle Paul had to say. Some would be persuaded, and others were not. In Acts chapter 24, beginning in verse 24, it says, But some days later Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewess. 
and sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. But as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, Go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. As Paul was able to speak about righteousness and self-control and judgment, righteousness in terms of having trust and faith and believing in the Lord Jesus, in terms of what he has said, what he has done, self-control in the context of the judgment for sin, that you are certainly going to be accountable for your sin, and that will be revealed in the judgment to come, that you will actually be accountable for your own decisions of yourself, that you did not control yourself and keep yourself perfect and holy, and that there will be a judgment to come, and the judgment will be on the basis of life and death, and if you want to stand on your own behalf on the basis of what you have done, then you certainly will be cast into eternal hell as a result of that, or you can depend and trust on what Christ Jesus has done on your behalf, and if you do believe and trust, then the judgment will be simple. You are alive, you have a place in the kingdom of heaven. And so Paul told him about the gospel. When he was given the opportunity, he spoke about the gospel. These things that he spoke of, the Holy Spirit is actively involved in the world, telling the world about these very things as well. As the Lord Jesus described in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 16, beginning in verse 7, the Lord Jesus said, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And I believe that this correlates to what Paul was telling Felix in Acts chapter 24, verse 25, as it is recorded as righteousness, self-control, and judgment. In this case, it is sin, which has to do with self-control, righteousness, and judgment. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing. Sin, because they do not believe in me, and concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. And so while Felix received the testimony, he was confronted with it, he decided to send Paul away. Did he ever believe? We certainly don't know. But Festus then took his post, and in Acts chapter 25, Paul speaks before Festus as well. But even during his trial before Festus, the real issues about what Paul was there for, why he was there, what he did, what he taught, those issues were not really the defining issues that determined his conditions. These were not the issues that determined whether or not he would be set free. The real issues came down to money and influence. Those were the issues that kept him in bondage. And these issues remained even into Acts chapter 26 when he had his trial before Agrippa. But in Acts chapter 25, there's a very interesting statement that Paul gives that says an awful lot about the character of the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 25, verse 11, Paul says, If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything worthy of death, I do not refuse to die. But if none of those things is true of which these men accuse me, No one can hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. I know many people will focus on his appeal to Caesar, but what I find very interesting about verse 11 is that Paul states that he is willing to die, that he would not refuse to die if he did anything that was worthy of death. This says an awful lot about an individual. I don't know many people who would willingly subject themselves to death 
if they did something that was worthy of death. In most cases, people are more concerned about their own self-preservation than they are about the truth. In most cases, I find that people are more concerned about their own lives than they are about what they have done or what they have not done, that even if a person did commit a crime worthy of death, they would be willing to do just about anything that they could in order to ensure that they would not be put to death because they are more concerned about their own life than they are concerned about truth and justice and righteousness and holiness. And I'm certainly not wanting to fault anyone for feeling that way. I'm sure that if I was confronted with a similar circumstance, the question would arise in my mind as to whether or not I should lie or beg for mercy or anything similar to that in order to preserve my life. I'm not willing to say that I would be just like the Apostle Paul necessarily in a situation like this. I would like to think that I would be like the Apostle Paul, but I can't say how I would really behave unless the circumstances were really presented before me. And even if I did respond one day just like the Apostle Paul, who's to say that another day I would not? I have no idea how I would really respond. But what I would really like to show you now, what I really want you to see is the fact that this does represent an incredible amount of character. This represents an incredible amount of integrity that Paul was willing to give up his own life in order to stand up for what was true and righteous. And so if he was willing to do that, should that not say an awful lot about his convictions of what he believes, that he certainly believes in what he believes, and he is definitely willing to give all that he has for the propagation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 26, we have the Apostle Paul before Agrippa, his trial before Agrippa. Now at the end of Acts chapter 25, Festus tells us about this situation before King Agrippa. It says in Acts chapter 25, beginning in verse 24, that Festus said, King Agrippa and all you gentlemen here present with us, you see this man about whom all the people of the Jews appeal to me, both at Jerusalem and here, loudly declaring that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death, and since he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to send him. Yet I have nothing definite about him to write to my Lord. Therefore I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the investigation has taken place I may have something to write, for it seems absurd to me in sending a prisoner not to indicate also the charges against him. And then beginning in Acts chapter 26 verse 1, Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and proceeded to make his defense. In regard to all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that I am about to make my defense before you today, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions among the Jews. Therefore I beg you to listen to me patiently. And then Paul proceeds to give his testimony before King Agrippa, and even an appeal that King Agrippa would believe in the Lord Jesus if he truly did believe in Moses and the prophets. But what I find very interesting in Acts chapter 26 is Paul's statement in verse 19 and 20. In verse 19 and 20, Paul says, So King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem, 
and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. Now, what's so interesting here is what Paul said at the end of verse 20, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. For him to say this suggests that he was teaching the law. And in a way, he was teaching the law. This certainly is true, but only in the context of leading a person to the point of salvation. And so when he says in verse 21 that for this reason some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death, when he says that he's exaggerating the point that while he was there in the temple, living in obedience to the law, supporting others, who were wanting to live in obedience to the law, that the Jews seized him in the midst of that, in the midst of that testimony that was coming out from him. Now again, the testimony that a person should repent and perform deeds appropriate to their repentance is a way of saying that a person should definitely consider their situation before the Lord. That a person should definitely consider the fact that unless they are perfect before God, they will not enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, Paul would teach the law for the purpose of leading a person to Christ, that the law does that, that the law is appropriate to teach in that context, and to tell people to repent and perform deeds worthy of repentance is appropriate for someone who is lost. When I find somebody who is not only lost, but is considered to be religious, and I feel that this person has a tremendous amount of religious pride about them, I will use the law, encouraging them to repent and perform deeds that are worthy of repentance with hope that someday, at some point, they would finally recognize that there is no way that they can ever repent enough, that there is no way that they can ever perform enough appropriate deeds to demonstrate their complete, full repentance that they will never be able to do enough to go before God and appeal to him for blessings or for favor or for more rewards or for a place in the kingdom of heaven, for absolutely nothing. Because in order to obtain anything like that from the Lord on the basis of what you do or what you don't do, you have to be perfect. As the Lord Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Lord Jesus used the law just as the Apostle Paul here is describing how he would use the law because that's who he's speaking to. He's speaking to a bunch of people who are either lost or who do not understand the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus from the law because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. The Lord Jesus used this very well throughout his entire ministry. And I have produced a series on this that describes this very well. That is the series that I did on the Sermon on the Mount. And I would very much like to encourage you to listen to that series and so that you can have a clear understanding of what this is about, about using the law in order to lead a person to a point of absolute hopelessness so that they can finally recognize that they cannot repent enough and they cannot do enough deeds that are appropriate to demonstrate their repentance. And so the only thing they have left is the grace and mercy of God. For the Lord Jesus to effectively reach to the people that he was ministering to, he had to use the law. He had to teach the law because that was the culture. That was the people who he was speaking to. He was speaking to a people who sincerely believed that they had found a way 
to be righteous before God through their repentance and obedience. So likewise, the Apostle Paul was still speaking to the same people. He was speaking to the exact same people that the Lord Jesus was speaking to. And so to be effective, he would have to bring them to the point of recognizing their depravity so that they would have an opportunity to receive the sufficiency of Christ Jesus if they would only humble themselves and recognize that they have no hope outside of the grace and mercy of God. And that is the gospel. That is the message of the gospel. And even as Christ Jesus used this message back then, and the Apostle Paul used this message back then, so also we use this message today. We can use this message right now because it is the message, the message of the law, the ministry of condemnation, that will lead a religious person, a prideful person, to the point of despair so that they can receive the grace and mercy of God, which is what the gospel is truly about. At this time, I would like to close this series of messages on the book of Acts. This has been a verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. At many times, I have referred to other topical teachings that I have done on various subjects. For the sake of time, I chose not to speak on those topics in depth, and so I would like to encourage you again to listen to those series of programs that I have referred to in order to gain a more in-depth understanding of those subjects and how they relate to the development of the early church, and, of course, how they relate to our lives today. These programs will, of course, be made available for free on our radio archive, or feel free to contact me, and I can send you a data disk of MP3 files that are full audio quality that you can use to play on your computer, or you can burn regular audio CDs with these files. I can distribute this entire series on Acts on one data disk, that I can easily send you in the mail, or, of course, I can burn regular audio CDs and send those out to you as well. Do contact me, and so I can send you these materials, or at the very least, I can keep you informed of the new materials that I am able to produce to aid you in your growth and development of knowing the Lord Jesus. You can contact me by telephone at area code 303-359-2550. You can reach me on my website, at www.livinggodministries.net or you can contact me through the post office at P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado 80937. And this information is, of course, given at the end of every broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net thank you